It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 756 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me this week as my guest is Jeff Shore. Jeff is the founder and CEO of the Shore Consulting Group. And we're going to be talking all about follow-up. In particular, how do you follow up with a buyer who isn't ready to move forward? I mean, how do you follow up by continuing to maintain that connection and providing the value that helps the buyer stay informed until they're ready to engage? Now, before we get to Jeff, I'm going to spend just a minute talking with my friend William Tyree, CMO of Ring DNA, about Ring DNA's Sales Madness Bracket Challenge. Now, we've been talking about this over the last several weeks. This is the competition among the top 64 sales books. And the voting has just moved uh, competition to the round of eight, actually the elite eight. And actually the voting for that took place actually before uh, we were able to release this this podcast. So we're going to talk about the matchups in the elite eight and some of the upsets that happened in the round of 16 and give the information about how you can vote now for the, the final four as well as the final two, the championship game matchup, if you will. That's all coming up within the next seven days. You'll get those dates. So let's talk about the madness. That is the Sales Madness Bracket Challenge. William, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. So Good joining, to see you. Joining me is, is my guest here, William Tyree, CMO of Ring DNA. We are talking about, really for the final time, about our Sales Madness Bracket Challenge. March Madness substitute, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's been really exciting. Uh, we have a lot higher engagement than I ever imagined that we would get. So turnout has been really great. It's been amazing to see uh, the devotion uh, uh, of the you know of the fan base for all of these great authors and seeing them come and rally behind their favorite sales books. Yeah, yeah. So today we're going to talk about. We've just moved into the round of eight, so we'll talk about the results of the. Round of 16, the sweet 16, if we can use that term without being sued for copyright infringement. And um, we'll talk about the, the the Elite Eight or the Round of Eight. And this will actually yeah. voting. I'll have you talk about the voting dates because uh, actually before we get back together again next week, all the voting will have been completed. So there's sort of two more rounds, three more rounds actually of competition that take place over the next week. So I'll let you fill on the dates on that. So voting for the Elite Eight is open from when to when? Yeah, so voting for the Elite Eight started earlier this week, and um, it actually closes, as we are recording it, it closes in about an hour. Oh, so actually by the time people listen to this, it will be done already. (laughs) Yes, but by the time people listen to this, they can start voting for the Final Four. So Final Four voting starts April 12th, and closes at midnight on um, on I'm sorry. Voting for the final four starts at noon uh, Pacific time on April eighth and closes at midnight on April twelfth. And then the championship round to crown you know the the winner of Sales Madness then will commence immediately and close at midnight on April fifteenth. Okay, so if you want to check out the final four, which sitting here, William and I don't know yet because the voting is just about ready to close, uh, but we can tell you who's going to be in it. I mean, 
sort of a superset of that, is, yeah, you want to go to ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness and submit your votes. That's ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness because, after all, what is sales but madness? Okay, so people can, as they're listening to this podcast, as we release it on Thursday the 9th, you have about three days to go to ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness to cast your votes for the final four and then... Starting Monday the 13th, is it? Then you can go back and vote for the champion. That's right. And you can vote until midnight on April 15th. And we'll announce that winner on April 16th. April 16th. So next week, make sure you join us. We will have the results. And uh, we'll talk about the book that that prevailed over this very fun and exciting month, uh, which was a nice distraction to have during, (laughs) during everything that's going on in the outside world. That's right. Thanks, Andy. All right, William, thank you very much for joining me and look forward to talking to you next week. You as well. William, thanks. Friends, again, if you want to vote, and do. Come vote. Actually, the voting has been increasing quite substantially as we go from round to round. Uh, go to ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness. That is ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness. Okay, let's jump into today's show. Jeff Shore, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you so much. Always good talking to you, Andy. It is great. We should do it more frequently. Sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, I, I on your website, you have this uh, celebrity closing persona quiz. So I encourage <laughs> people to go to jeffshore.com, check it out. Uh, actually, I took it a couple times. Um, so you go through and you have a series of, what, seven questions or something like that that, yeah, yeah. that you answer. Right. And then you show who your celebrity closing lookalike is, so to speak. Yeah. And so first time I was Jerry Maguire. When I took it seriously the first time. <laughs> I was Jerry Maguire. Yeah. And then I took it the second time and and I was the wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Jordan Are you okay with either either of those responses there? Yeah, I love Jerry Maguire. I thought that was great. Very well. But, Talk about somebody, you know, his whole manifesto he's coming up with, right? This is a human business. You know, we got to treat people as, you know, the thing that you and I love talking about is the human aspect of sales. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Belfort, not so much, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, that was interesting. So, so you've got a new book coming out, right? Yeah, I do. Uh, my my seventh book. Uh, this one is all on uh, sales follow up, and you know what happens uh, after that initial appointment. And and it's something that I I've always you know thought about. I've obviously I've taught. I know you have uh, too, mm-hmm. Andy. But if you do a Google search and you just write, it, it just type in sales follow up books. You're not going to get a lot of hits right there. And so uh, I just wanted to be able to take what a lot of really smart thinkers have said in the past and add my two cents and put it together in something that was that, that made it easy for people to uh, get into something that was otherwise it's it can trip people up, right? Follow up is one of those things that a lot of sure. those people struggle with. Well, why do they struggle with it? Seems like natural, right? I, I breathe in, I have to breathe out. If I make a sales yeah. call, I have to follow up. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I it probably starts I think with just that. The driven salesperson likes the input, the, the psychological input of the yes, right? So the instant gratification, we want to move very, very quickly, need a sale, need it now. And when you look at follow-up, it's one of those things that takes a while. So you don't know 
not only do you not know when your effort is going to pay off, but you don't know if your effort is going to pay off. It's like marketing. You know, someone once said that only 10% of marketing works. And the problem is we can't figure out which 10%. <laughs> yeah, that was well, uh, it's the same thing with follow-up. We don't really know which follow-up is going to hit and which is not. And maybe there's just that little control freak nature in great salespeople that says, I don't like feeling out of control. I, I don't I don't know whether this is going to work or not. And so then maybe they stop doing it altogether. Well, yeah. So let's define what you mean by follow-up specifically. I mean, is, yeah. is, so is this like, hey, you know, I've had my first conversation with the buyer or, and I don't follow up on that or I get a lead. Yeah. I don't follow up on that. All of the above. What, what are you referring right. to? Yeah. What it really comes down to is uh, from the moment a customer says, I want to think about it. So this isn't really part of the discovery phase. It's, it's, it's after I've got to know the customer, it's after I've had that discovery uh, after I've presented to them a solution and even asked for the order, but we don't get a yes right then. Now mm-hmm. we're going to go into the deliberation. Now we're going to go into what our options are, maybe even shopping around a little bit. Now, how do I keep that conversation going and progressing and not just to keep it alive until they hopefully say yes, but actually to make it stronger and stronger and stronger as we go on. So okay. uh, whether that that process before we're actually asking for the business is going to take you know weeks or months in enterprise sales, or if it's a, a one-shot deal, if you're selling a car or a home or whatever it is, what happens when that customer is not giving you that firm commitment? How do we keep this alive and build the value in the sale until they say yes? Okay, so really how to follow up when the deal sort of loses momentum? Uh, you know, it it could very well be. Well, let me put it this way: if you don't follow up, it's going to. Lose <laughs> it's going to lose, right. That's right. The alternative right. is it will, it's, right? But I mean, that's, know, there's no question, and I know you, that we're of like mind about this. That that the emotion is making that decision, and uh, it's supported by the logic. And what happens is that the longer we stay as a buyer, the longer we stay in a buying cycle without making a decision, the more we get uh, unmoored from that initial emotional impulse. And then we're trying to make a completely fact-based analytical decision. And even, you know, Daniel Kahneman, the founder of Bay Area Economics says, when, when you rob people of the emotional impulse, they make worse decisions. And so we want to try and figure out how do we elevate the emotional altitude and extend it throughout this process. Well, it's interesting he says that because that that is really sort of contradicted by Herbert Simon. You know, who came up with the whole sort of maximizer, satisficer right. um, categorization, if you will, because he said, look, you know, maximizers, they're going to look at every single opportunity and option until they've convinced themselves that they're going to make the best decision. Right. And his research was that, yeah, they did make the best decisions. Now, they were also the most unhappy with those decisions. I was but going they, to say. <laughs> <laughs> because there's always got to be something else out there to look at. Sure. But they did make the best decisions. Well, okay, but this is the great irony, right? Like I am a total satisficer. My wife is a complete maximizer. Uh, So the two stores that she tends to shop at the most, uh, Nordstrom Mm -hmm. and Costco. And what do those two stores have in common? Well, it's easy to return stuff. Well, that's right. (laughs) Right? right. So, So this is her maximizer mindset that even after she buys something, she's not really sure. I would much rather live in my satisficer world with the irony being that she is making a better decision, but I'm happier about my choice by the time we're done. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm generally happier than someone else I can name who does that. Um, so, 
So let's go back to this follow-up thing, because I find this very intriguing, because, you know, if you get to the point where you have a, what you believe is a qualified prospect, a qualified opportunity, and I'm just, yeah. again, speaking from my own experience, is, and this is part of the reason you and I had once talked about, you know, operating with thin pipelines and so on, mm-hmm. is part of the reason I'm able to do that is when I had a qualified prospect, they were qualified to buy what I was selling. Mm-hmm. And not some not a product like mine. They were qualified to buy my product, and yeah, something come up where either they had a question that I hadn't answered yet, uh, which is how I position objections. To me, there's questions that need to be answered, right? Or you know, something come in their business that you know maybe it's going to delay the decision. The last thing in the world that crossed my mind is I was going to not follow up and not stay in contact and so on. Because hey, we got to this point because they're qualified to buy from me, right? What yeah. what in your mind, you know, based on you working on your book and so on, so what possesses a salesperson to sort of give up at that point? Well, look, when I look at what happens here with a, a sales professional who is committed to not selling something, but to making the customer's life better, that is that you came to me because you had a problem that needs to be solved. How can I help you to do that? That's the person who's more likely to follow up because they recognize that the, prob- the, the person's life has not been improved the way that they need to, or that organization still has a deficiency over here. Mm-hmm. But if I'm only looking at it and saying, how do I get a sale? What, what's next? And I get that commission breath going on. Then that's where I'm going to look and say, if I don't get the sale now, well, maybe the next guy that I talk to, maybe he'll get it. And I sort of just forget what I'm going to do over here. So I think it's really in my Am, am I, you know, uh, palms down to try and give or am I palms up only trying to receive? Mm-hmm. That mindset of how you approach sales in general will probably affect the way that you're going to follow up or not follow up. But I think the other side of it is that there is a stigma about uh, what happens, uh, how salespeople are perceived, the obnoxious uh, you know, just, hey, just call in to check in and see if you're ready to buy today because my visa payment is due. You might as right. well say it. Right, right, uh, right. Versus the salesperson who really believes that they can add value to this conversation. So a couple angles on that I want to pursue is one is is salespeople get in that position, then the yeah, end of the month starts approaching the managers hovering over their shoulders. Hey, sure. what's going to happen? And they've invested all this effort to, to I don't want to say convince, but to to authentically, you know, earn the trust of the buyer that you know, be transparent with their motives. I'm here to help you, and then it's like, well, hey, we gotta, you know, go find out what's going to take to get that order closed this month. Well, they're not yes. really ready to make that decision. Ah, oh, no, let's offer them twenty percent. Well, I don't think they're ready. Offer yeah. them thirty percent, and suddenly, yeah, you know, the in the mind of the buyer, yeah, you're not that trustworthy anymore. You are just right. here for the commission. Yeah. So how do? Yeah. And, and of course, the the buyer can't really trace that conversation back to the sales manager, which came to the president of that division, mm-hmm. which get, it, it just all sort of flows downhill. All the salesperson hears from the leader is, we're not going to lose another deal to this stinking competitor over here. You're going to do whatever it takes. And you cannot expect reasonably that a sales professional is going to take that type of a message and turn it into something that's appealing to the customer other than we're desperate. We need the sale. And then you're one step away from what's it going to take to get you to do business with me today? <laughs> Come on down and see Cal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it reminds me of this story that, that you know, early in my career, 
we the company computer company was at the managers the branch managers had a, a their own sales contest in the middle of the year and at the end of that contest period anything that wasn't nailed to the floor got shipped and <laughs> I, I suspect tables out of the the break room and so on got shipped to customers but man my branch manager was determined determined that we were going to sell this large upgrade disk drive and this is $1,000 a megabyte at that time for a disk drive. $1,000 a megabyte. So it was $65,000 for 64 megabytes. It was great, great thing to sell, but in a quarter. But this customer, he was just unhappy with us anyway, right? But but branch manager committed. He was going to sell one of these things, and he determined it was going to be my customer. And we had this day. We're literally the last day of the month. He had sent me out to the customer, which fortunately was only like a half mile away. <laughs> I drive out, talk to the CEO. It was, it was a big home construction company. Talk to CEO. No, I'd go back. Branch manager kicked me back again. <laughs> this went back and forth. Finally, he's telling me, don't come back unless you get the order. <laughs> it was one of the most miserable days of my life and it completely soured the relationship with the buyer. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and even if you had gotten that short-term win, which I assume you did not get. No, no, I got and, it. <laughs> oh, did you really? Oh, oh yeah, congratulations. I well, I did the... He did kick me out of his office, so I sat on his car in the parking lot. Sort of cliche-ish, but I literally—I didn't sit on the car. But I was leaning against his car, right in the parking lot, and yeah. uh, he finally—he literally threw up his hands when he came yeah. out. At and this was you know six o'clock on a Friday night. I was like, oh, "Come, on. all right, fine. How much offer yeah. are you going to give me?" So then we you know we gave we gave it away on top of it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's interesting. I think you know I, I remember we're we're having this. I had this conversation with the great Seth Godin we had on the podcast a couple of years ago. And one of the things that Seth Godin has said was, if you have to work that hard uh, with your negotiation and, and your discounts, you know, you got to really look at the value in your product in the first place because something is fundamentally wrong with your value proposition. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Or there's something fundamentally wrong with your business practices. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen companies that, you know, they, they'll just, Ship, quote unquote, yes, you see less, you don't see this with software these days, but you with hardware, you used to see as they ship, quote unquote, people see me doing air quotes, ship the product to, you know, a warehouse. The customer really saw it. Uh, mm -hmm. They were sort of on the hook for it. But yeah, companies used to play games with that stuff all the time and it would have an impact on the customers. I mean, eventually sure. they start saying, well, if this is the way they're doing business, right. why do we want to do business with them? Well, this is one of the things that I approach in, in the book is that your perception as a sales professional about your own value is critical to how you're going to extend the value proposition. Because if you look at it, suppose you have a presentation, you ask for the order, and and for whatever reason, the buyer's not willing to commit, right? They, mm -hmm. they're, they're still shopping for other options, or there are other decision makers involved, whatever the decision might be. So now if I start making up stories and looking at it and saying, oh, I, I know what's happening here. They're going to come back to me on the price. All right, what can I do to get creative? And, and it's very possible that this person just has questions that they need to answer of themselves or there's a legitimate life issue that took them off their trail for just whatever it happens to be. But meanwhile, I'm sitting there back there with the salesperson absolutely expecting that the discount is the next legitimate step. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're willing to do that, then what, you can't help but communicate that you don't believe in your value enough. Good luck trying to hold on to the value proposition when you're not a believer yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're just setting yourself up for a discount for sure. So, so give us some examples of good ways, good examples of following up in this situation. I, I have one of my own I've written about before. I called it uh, 
value-added persistence uh, or value-based persistence, which was yeah. we sort of got in this thing, this situation where it was a qualified prospect. You knew you had a great chance of getting the order when they made the decision, but for whatever reason, decision time frame slipped, is just putting together a scheduled dates. You know, yeah. you set up a sequence or a cadence where you're going to follow up with them, and every time you interacted with them in that follow-up, you were giving them something of value that would further their deliberation and further their decision-making. could yeah. be a white paper. It could be you know whatever, a piece of content. It could be a further small demonstration, whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you just said, okay, well, gosh, this, this uh, looks like it's going to be delayed 90 days. Maybe I'll have six follow-ups that I'll schedule during that time. But everyone value-based for them. Right. Well, the value base is the keywords. Right from the very beginning, if there's no value to your follow-up, please don't follow up. And there's no value to just checking in and seeing if you wanted to buy. Uh, so if, if I'm looking at it, and so that might be the end of the conversation, but it's certainly not the beginning of the conversation. Right. And so if, if you don't have value to share, then, then I would really question whether or not, well, frankly, I'd question whether or not you were creative enough to come up with some version of value, because I don't think it's as hard as sometimes we make it out to be. No, it's but, so, but, these days with the internet, it's so simple. Completely. Completely. So here's the advice that I give to salespeople. Go solve a problem that they don't know they have. Mm-hmm. So if you get to know your customer and you ask yourself the question, what are they dealing with right now? What are their issues? What are their problems? It may have nothing to do with what you have to sell. But if you get to know them a little bit and understand their environment, then go solve a problem that they don't know they have. And oftentimes this can be in the form of, of education or insight uh, that's that's pertinent. This is what's happening. This is the shift. This is what's happening in this industry that probably will affect your industry. Go solve a problem that they don't know they have. And that takes a little creativity, but not rocket science creativity. <laughs> well, it, it also it, it takes a um it takes a willingness to continue to ask questions. And this is mm-hmm. this is you know, I, I think that you know, every time you interact with a, a customer, you sort of do four things. You should do four things. One is you deepen the connection, you deepen your discovery, you deepen your understanding, and you deepen the value you provide. Yeah. And so I, we, it doesn't get talked enough about, but I think a, a great source of value for your prospects is I understand, right? That you can say you've asked the right questions, you've, you've confirmed that you have a firm understanding of those questions – that's value in the eyes of, mm-hmm. of the buyer. Okay. Yeah. I'm confident you understand it. And in this period where we're a little uncertain about what our next steps are, that's gold. Yeah, right. Well, and, and that, that's absolutely right. And so it, it gives you that deeper uh, understanding, that deeper connection, that deeper uh, uh, meaning that I am going to be able to connect with you even before I get the yes. And I think that that's a huge uh, um, I think that's a significant change in thinking rather than to look at the prospect as a target or a a lead that I need to convert, whatever it is. What if I treated them like they were already one of my customers? So if we just think back not that very long ago to the very, uh, the very height of the coronavirus and everything that we were seeing around the coronavirus. And, and uh, you know, like you had a lot of clients that were uh, in, in sort of panic mode and, and I had to look at that. But like you, I also have a business to run. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, prospective clients that we're looking at working with. So I, I sat down and I recorded some videos for all of my key clients. Like, hey, this is what I'm thinking these days. Maybe this will help you. A little bit of perspective just to get us through these really, really crazy times. Then I got to the end of that and I just went, well, wait a minute. 
I just sent that to all my key clients. Why am I not sending that to all my future clients? Mm -hmm. And so we just simply re-recorded and sent it out to people personalized uh, to different builders, to different, I'm sorry, <clears throat> to different companies that we were right. hoping to work with, right. whether it was a home building company, whether it was a keynote speech, whatever it was, to be able to say, this is what we can bring to you. And you have to keep in mind is that you earn the right to send those types of mails and to have people read them right. earlier mm -hmm. on, right? Because yeah. you talk about this this inflection point about you know follow-up starting, not when you get a no, but when you get a, we're not sure, right? Yeah. Is too often salespeople sort of take us like a breakup, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just broke up. Yeah, you don't like me anymore. Yeah, you know, yep. get a little sullen. And, and at, again, gets back to if this is really a qualified opportunity, if you've really qualified this, these people are qualified to buy exactly what you're selling, then you're nuts. You got to keep your head about you. You got to stay in the game. You got to stay in the moment and say, I've earned the right with them for them to yep. pay attention to what I send them, mm -hmm. any additional information, insights I share, questions I ask, you know, because I want to keep asking questions to your point about solve a problem they don't know they have. Yeah. They'll listen to you. They won't necessarily yeah. do that to the person who hasn't earned that right or the person who starts getting, let's say, a little sullen. Yeah, right. But but if you hadn't earned the right by that point, you, 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 fundamentally, your sales process is so flawed that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, anymore. you're not in the game at that point. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's but that's such an interesting thing that, that yeah, I try to impart to people is that a lot of times when people lose the deal, they don't understand that they were never really in contention. Mm-hmm. And and people misinterpret the fact that buyers will talk to them, prospective customers will talk to them as, yes, they are sincerely interested in what I'm selling. And in many cases, it's just not the case, right? Yeah. Maybe you didn't make a strong first impression, but they have other reasons for continuing to talk with you. I mean, they may have to be able to justify, hey, we got three bids for this thing, or we looked at three vendors before we narrowed it down to two vendors. You You can find that out. You can find this out by asking the questions. You can find this out by by building this connection with the buyer but a lot of times you're just not in the game yeah yeah i think that's right you know it was it, it reminds me of a, of a of a one of the guests that i from time to time on my podcast i will bring on a, a frontline salespeople, and i had a, a lady she's her name is molly she's in reno nevada and she sells cardboard boxes Right. She sells cardboard boxes to people that need to ship stuff. Right. And she's not naive about this. She recognized she recognized right from the very beginning if there was anything more of a commodity than a cardboard box. And I remember asking her the question, how do you value differentiate with a cardboard box? And she just paused and she looked at it and she goes, It's a box. Right. It's just a box. And so the only thing that can happen here is for me to make such a deep connection that yep. I am the differentiator. And so for her, she recognized, you know, I'm, yes, I'm going to ask for the sale. Of course I am. But I'm going to keep uh, looking at my in, looking at what the industry that these people are in and keep trying to figure out how do I serve. And she said, I get most of my business because people end up looking at me and saying, I've heard more from you in the last six months that I've heard from my current box supplier in the yep. last three years. And that's all it takes to get it over the edge. So there is that idea, that serve first mentality that's going to be critical. If you don't do that, you're not in the game in the first place. Yeah, serve, don't sell. Absolutely. Yeah, I just earlier today I'd interviewed a great young entrepreneur uh, named Mary Grothy who had started up in the payroll business, right? A very commodity business. And yeah. yeah, crushed it. And it was, yeah, it was all about 
forming this connection, going the extra mile with the service, being the point of differentiation in, like I said, a hugely commodity business, just like cardboard boxes, and make yourself the difference. And I, I, that was the subject of my first book and a good chunk of my second book. Just such a huge believer. I don't, it hasn't changed. In fact, I, I'm of the mind and firmly believe this, that this is actually becoming more important. You know, that your ability to differentiate yourself is, as a seller on the as sort of initial point of attack, more important. It's going to become increasingly important. You know, think about it. People yeah. say, well, oh, we're going to get automated selling, guided selling, AI-driven selling, and so on. But if you think about it, is is people are always going to have the same concerns. You know, there is uh, AI-driven decision-making tools for medical procedures, I say, that patients can access them. But the studies have shown that even though these AI-driven tools perhaps make a better decision, people want to hear it from a doctor. They want to reason with another person. They want to talk it through with another person. And so there's still this tendency to say, yeah, we want to go that way. And I, our buyers are no different. They're humans. There's a risk factor associated with making any sort of purchase decision. They want to know that there's somebody they can rely on, they can trust, who's got the credibility, that they have confidence in to help them make that choice. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's it's here's a, a a mental framework that might help then for sales professionals out there. And if if I could look at it and say, if they don't buy from me, I at least want them to have the decency to feel bad about that. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, see, this is the idea. If I have somebody who doesn't buy from me and and then says, I'm going to use this choice over here, I'm not going to buy, find another solution, whatever it is, and then I forget about the salesperson as if he or she never existed. Well, that was a benchmark as to the quality of the relationship. You know, I, I just, I have a, a rental home in uh, Dallas, Texas that I decided to sell. And I called a realtor in Dallas and, and I, I've known him uh, not really, really well, but, but we, we put him to work figuring out, okay, well, what's the home worth and how's it going to work? And we're mm-hmm. going to do all this. Well, side by side, one the, the sponsor for my, my five-minute sales training videos that come out on Saturday is, is Open Door, which is a real estate company. And I right. called Open Door. And as it turns out, I sold the house to Open Door. And, it was, and so now I'm looking at it and I'm going, I feel really bad to this realtor. I, and I said to my wife, I'm going to send him a, a gift certificate, right. a gift card to Three Forks there in Dallas so he can at least have a nice meal. Right. And, and Karen was like, he's a realtor. That's just what they do. They they get the business sometimes and they don't. You don't know anything. And I said, yeah, but he did such a fantastic job. And that's the idea. If your customer is not going to use you, do they at least feel bad about it? Because if they don't, maybe you pulled up short of doing everything you could do. I've never heard anybody express it that way. I like that. I like that a lot, as a matter of fact. I'm thinking of examples in my my brain, my own past experiences. Yeah, I've had some of those where I've formed deep connection with a buyer who ultimately didn't go with me. Yeah. Um, sometimes they came back. But then I can right. also think of the the inverse of <laughs> of opportunities that more early in my career that, yeah, yeah, I was just being used. Right, <laughs> you know, it's, right. I yeah. was, but, was, but did you at least get an email, right? Did you at least get a, hey, we've decided to do this over here. I can't thank you enough. Did we at least get that much out of it? Well, Jeff, this was well before email was available. So, <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just forced me to date myself. Um, <laughs> no, we might get a handwritten note occasionally. Yeah, there you I go. Did, I did there once you. from a, a buyer that's, yeah appreciated the effort and, and – uh, we ultimately did connect when he went to a different company, but uh, mm. yeah, yeah. No, I just remember, yeah. And this is 
this gets back to something we were talking about before is you have to always and continually ask questions, even if you really don't want to know the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and that speaks to even, are you really in the running, right? Do you really have a chance to win? You'll be told. You can figure it out. If you ask enough questions, you can figure this out ahead of time and say, look, maybe I just need to cut bait at this point in time. Yeah. And I think of some, maybe with the most painful loss in my career, I didn't do that. I should have known better. Right. I was senior yeah. enough. I should have known better. I was running a, a team, right? And this is a, a big deal. And I think we just got so blinded by the potential that we just didn't ask enough questions. And when they came down with their decision, even though we were <laughs> far superior technically, I think we had a better price, lower risk profile. They just had the they had the connections. They had the ins at the customer. Yeah. We were, right. and as we looked at, it's like. You know, we were never seriously in the running on this one. I mean, it was a huge, a huge lesson that never right. repeated again. The mistake I never repeated again. But is that really? That's why I encourage salespeople after the conversation is over, you got the sale, you didn't get the sale, but did you take the conversation as far as it can go? We're not going to get them all, but don't beat yourself up if the behaviors uh, uh, were right. We, we spend so mm-hmm. much time looking at the results that perhaps we don't focus enough on the behaviors. And if you did all of the right behaviors, even if you didn't get the sale, that still deserves a, a pat on the back. And I know that the, that the old school hard sell people are going to cringe when I say that, uh, but it's the behaviors that we're doing. If we're doing the behaviors right, you'll get the sale. Uh, but that's, what, that's the question that we have to ask is, did I do all the right things? Not ultimately, either I got the sale and I'm a winner or I didn't, I'm a loser. That's a great Great perspective. I mean, I, I um, worked for a guy that was really big on that. A CEO built a company. And it's like, yeah, we shouldn't have our sellers feel like they're under that pressure all the time mm-hmm. because a it creates bad behavior and and b is to your point you just made is is yeah you start playing the blame game yeah. instead of saying look and his, that was his point precisely too is did we do all we could you know ethically yeah. in order right. to get the business. And if we did a good job and we just happened to lose, well, you don't win everyone. But but I think the reason that mindset is important is that if you're not thinking that way, then you get a sale and you assume you did everything right. And this is, uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about this under the banner of the hindsight bias. Mm-hmm. We say that hindsight is 2020. It's really not true. If, if we, we make the decision on the quality of the outcome, not on the quality of the effort that went into the decision. So, you know, in a, in a world that's very predictable, if I'm driving down the freeway and I decide to turn left, I'm going to hit a wall. Well, that's a pretty predictable outcome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the world itself is unpredictable. So if we're only making our judgments based on the outcome and not on the effort that went into the outcome, then we're going to get blindsided. And, and I think that, that, you know, that, that idea of you got a sale and therefore all is right with the world prohibits us from really learning, well, what did I do to get the sale in the first place? I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm, I'm, it's going to ultimately drive the, the wrong behaviors. And just one little quick analogy on this. Sure. When I first started playing ice hockey, uh, I, I was, or as they say in Canada, hockey. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, once, I once referenced the term ice hockey at a speech in Canada and a guy came up to me in the break and he said, this is Canada, eh? You don't have to say ice. <laughs> hockey, anyway, right? um, I play defense, but at the end of the game, the captain of the team would always give a puck to whoever scored a goal. 
Well, you know, it wasn't my job to score a goal. So then guess what happened there? I would start jumping into the play, leaving my defensive position because I wanted to be recognized at the end of the game. So when we're recognizing the wrong behaviors, we're really going to get into trouble right there. Well, and that that's our runs rampant in several industries and uh, companies, if you will. Is mm-hmm. you know, they, I think specifically certain companies have sort of reached uh, maybe the high growth phase where yeah, they just have to be open for business and they're going to get a bunch of orders coming in. Right. And then you get this whole strata of sellers who think, oh, I really, I'm really good at this, right? I'm all that. Yeah. I'm all that. And then yeah. they go to the next company. It's like, oh, hmm, why is this not working the same way? Sure. And so part of that, I point of bringing that up is you can't believe your own press clippings. Yeah. I mean, more than anything else in sales. So you have to right. think, okay, maybe to yourself, you say, I'm, I think I did a pretty good job on that. But yeah, I mean, if if it came easy, if you didn't think that, hey, we put the work on this, it was this was, I mean, nothing against bluebirds. I mean, mm-hmm. good leads coming in as bluebirds. If you can turn into a good order, that's fantastic. Right. But if you didn't have, to, yeah. But if you, yeah, you know, didn't really have to work it that hard. The high propensity of the customers go buy from you anyway on this inbound lead. Yeah, be careful what you think about yeah. yourself as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um. Anything else out of your book? Uh, you know, I, 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 the one thing that I would just, that I do talk about a lot is different methods of follow up, and I, I think that uh, we have probably come full circle in the idea that follow up used to be just about phone calls, and then people got sick of phone calls, so then we used email, and then people got sick of email, so then we started the text, and and uh, now nobody makes a phone call anymore. And so, and I've always been of the belief that you should probably be doing what your your competition is not doing. Mm-hmm. I think the phone is fresh again. I think the phone is new again. And uh, I don't know about you, but the amount of junk calls that I get has has fallen off a cliff over the last couple of years. Really? And so there is that opportunity. And it's not a junk call. There's already a relationship there. If you're doing your job right, you're already going to come up on their on their uh, identified on their phone because you already have that relationship. So that's the first thing I would suggest is that when we look at follow-up, so much of follow-up is my CRM says make contact, hit send, and it's gone. And it's just another form letter. It just doesn't it doesn't resonate with us anymore. But that follow-up call is new again. One other thing about this little device right here that is just I think we holding up a smartphone for audio. I'm holding up a smartphone. Sorry about that. Yeah. You know, the idea of video messaging, video texting um, is really powerful in just little 30 second spurts to be able to give a quick message and and be able to show some cool feature about your product, uh, a client testimonial, somebody that you're working with, just little tiny text messages, especially if you're selling a product where your buyer base is getting younger and younger. They grew up in the video uh, uh, generation. This is not weird to them. I think that video messaging should not be fresh, but it still is. Yeah. No, absolutely. I was actually just recently interviewed uh, Steve uh, Pacinelli from uh, BombBomb. And yeah, yeah, video email, it's a great service. Uh, There's other services like that out there. Yeah, you're personalizing it in a way that that, uh, text and email, standard email, others just don't. And so it's available. Why not use it? 
Why not? And, and it's not difficult. It's really not. Well, they're not and, difficult. And also, when you look at the data from BombBomb and other providers of similar type services, is yeah. the open rates, the response rates are, are substantially higher than, than yeah. Yeah, regular email. And, and think about it. You, like me, uh, I, I'm going to, I don't think this is really going out on a limb to suggest that you have salespeople trying to sell you stuff all the time. Right, sure. Andy? Yeah. Right? Yeah, man, me too. Just constantly. Let me think about the number of video messages that I have received in the last six months. And uh, I, I, just a handful, and they're not from salespeople, they're people that I already know. So it, it just that opportunity is going to be huge. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I had that conversation with Steve when we interviewed us is, yeah, their business is growing, but the penetration of the video uh, messaging is so thin still at this point. The opportunity is huge, right, for, yeah. for us to adopt it and, and use it. And again, you personalize it. Uh, yeah, I've had other interviews, but you know, you can listen to my interviews on that. It's just simple ways you can personalize video right. messaging that, uh, sure. yeah, you can sort of do with text, but it's just, I think it has more impact to your point. It does. It does. And the yeah, other I things think to think about too with, with follow up, another suggestion was just the, you know, there's been this whole growth of digital gifting yeah. uh, with companies like Sendoso and others that make it just dead solid, simple from even within Salesforce. Yeah. To right. you know, if you need to, you know, send. They start off selling you know digital uh, Starbucks gift cards, but mm-hmm. you know, even something a little more substantive. It could be you know, send cupcakes. It could be send brownies. It could be something you know, non-food related. Just yeah, that catches people attention, and and they say, oh, okay, they're thinking about us. That's cool, right? And that's the idea is to, this is an investment into the ongoing relationship. That's what follow-up is. And, and so when I, when I look at follow-up, I, I, again, going with the premise that people make decisions based on their emotion, they support it with their logic and their analysis, even maximizers, by the way, mm-hmm. I still believe that, that, that they may not, they may not fully agree with me, but, but I think even maximizers, there's, nobody's going to look at something and say, I hate that. But it checks all the boxes, and so sure. I'll take it. So we're still going to make those those emotion based uh, decisions. Well, I think the role of follow up is to extend emotional altitude. So so when I'm involved with a salesperson, I'm looking at a at a product or a service. In that moment that I'm involved in that, my emotional altitude is at a high point. Now, how do I sustain that? And the longer we go after that initial emotional peak, without that direct personalized follow-up, the more that emotional altitude starts to fall off the table. So you could really look at it and you can graph it. And the job of follow-up is to support that line, is to keep it up here in that level of high emotional altitude. And it was interesting. I was I was at a conference and I was sitting next to somebody during a break. We were chatting and and she was asking me what I did. And I told her and, and uh, she said, oh, that's interesting. You read any books? And I said, yeah, I've written several books. And she said, uh, you know, you got any work in? I said, yeah, I'm writing this book on follow-up right now. And she said, well, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing. And I said, what do you do? And she said, um, well, I take people's money and I give them time. I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, that's what I do. If I ask you the question, Jeff, what do you have more of, time or money? Now, look, I don't consider myself to be rich, but I do okay. Uh, but it's a no-brainer for me to say I have more money than I have mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. She said, that's what I do. I take people's money and I give them time. I'm a ghostwriter. <laughs> so you're writing a book right now. I can write it for you. I can write it in your language. Nobody will ever know. You give me money. I give you time. And then you determine what to do with the time. Now, in this conversation, I'm like, 
what a great sales presentation, right? Yeah, I mean, that yeah. it's just, it's fantastic. She's interested in me. She's got a solution for something. And by the end of that conversation, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. And I told her, I want to go back to my team and talk to the team about it a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, I'll be in touch. And then I didn't hear from her. Right. I never heard from her. Right. So I'm back at a conference three months later, I run into her again. And she says, uh, Jeff, you, you never got back to me. And I looked at her and I said, seriously? I said, what was my book about? And she said, it was about follow-up. There you go. He said, you put the burden completely on me. And within weeks of uh, days, really, of that conversation, the emotional altitude that I had was gone. It was gone. And frankly, I haven't thought about you much over the last couple of months. Yeah. And, and it was, and, and that's the perfect example of what I'm talking about right here is watching that emotional altitude that seemed really strong when we were together on the phone in the presentation fall off the cliff. And then what do we do? We start making moral judgments uh, about the buyer saying, well, the guy ghosted me. He's an idiot. Yeah. Well, I've got, so one last example of, for me, it would always been a huge, important follow-up call. And that is calling the buyer after they give you the order. Sure. And people are like, well, no, that's customer success. No, no, no. This is this is a sales thing because it's a sales if, thing. if you've been in a competitive sales environment, when the customer puts their name on the paper to sign a contract, what they think they're buying is an amalgamation of all the things they've heard from all the vendors. Yeah. Even no matter how smart they are, there's gonna be some level of confusion about exactly what they're gonna get. Right. So for me, the most important follow-up call you make is the one after they've given the order where you say, look, yeah. I just spent a few minutes. I just want to review with you what just happened, right? Right. You had these requirements. This is what we bid. There's the reasons we bid it. This is what you bought. This is what we're going to deliver. This is what you're going to receive when. And then it's like that emotional altitude. I you know, triggered the thought when you said emotional altitude. You're going to keep that emotional altitude high because right. then when they receive what you sold them and they start implementing it, it's like, oh, that matches our expectations. Yeah. And doing that expectation reset, I found is hugely critical. It, it, even more so if you're in a situation where, you know, they're, they're, they've got that time, there's a, it's in stages, there's the opportunity for them to back out and cancel the order at some point. And it, as even after the say yes, immediately that uh, anticipated regret could jump in just because there's the, oh, no, what have I done? And, you know, e even as I've said a couple of times, people make the decision on emotion. Well, even if you're in the purchasing department, you're still motivated by emotion. It's the emotion of, did you make the right choice for your organization? Will your uh, other people who are going to be using this product uh, support this? I mean, there's still emotion based to it. So when you say yes, if you've got the opportunity to still pull the plug, then what happens? You continue to churn after the fact. Right. And if there's no support from the salesperson, you're absolutely right. That whole deal could still blow up on you. Well, and that's why managers caution sellers not to make that call. And they really should be urge them to make it for that very reason, right? Just as you said, is you're going to solidify it because you're going to reset the expectations and you're going to avoid the possibility of a hiccup Completely. as soon as you start yep. delivering an endpoint. Okay. Jeff, fantastic, as always. So your new book's coming out when? It'll be out in uh, July, published by McGraw-Hill. Pre-orders available now. Follow up and close the sale. Pre-orders available on Amazon already. So there Perfect. you go. Perfect. All right, Jeff, as always, a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. All right, talk to you soon. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. 
And I want to thank my guest, my friend Jeff Shore. Join me again next week as my guest with a very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget is VP of Sales at Tidelift. And for those of you that are longtime listeners of the show, you know that Bridget holds the record for the number of appearances on the show. A record they'll never be equaled, in fact. Bridget was previously a frequent co-host on the show. We had a weekly uh, episode that we did together we called Frontline Fridays. She has over 100 appearances. And uh, so happy to have her joining me again. And we're going to be talking about how to enable sellers just like you with the skills, habits, and behaviors you need to perform to the best of your abilities in front of your customers. So definitely want to check this out. And be sure to join Bridget and me for that conversation next week. So again, thanks for joining me this week on the show. And until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.